Ezekiel 3, and we'd like to begin reading verse number 16. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning for me. When I say unto the wicked, Thy shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if I warn the wicked, and he turn not from the wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thy hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if I warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live. Because he is warned, also thou hast delivered thy soul. Now let us pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for the privilege that we have again to come together and fellowship in the Lord and offer our praise and our thanks to God. And uh, Lord, we just want to thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us saved. And thank you for the privilege to serve you. What an honor it is. How wonderful to be a child of God and to be not to be under the bondage of sin tonight, to be saved and, and to be a servant of the Lord. And our Father, I pray as we study the precious Word of God, thank you, Lord, that you've given us your Word. And I pray, O oh God, that you'd visit with us here tonight and teach us the things that we need to know that we might better serve you. And I pray you'd work in every heart and every life for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to bring you a message on the subject destroyed by silence. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 7, he said there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And then in James 1:19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And so the Word of God encourages silence at times. But then there are time to speak. There's a time not to be silent. A lot of times we speak when we ought to keep our mouth shut, and then sometimes we keep our mouth shut when we ought to speak. And so he said there's a time to keep silence, and then there is a time to speak. Now the Lord said in Matthew 12, 30, He that is not with me is against me. And sometimes we take the attitude, well, I just don't want to be involved. And in some of the larger cities, you've heard about people standing on the sidewalk and watch a person be beaten up or murdered and never lift their hand to do anything. And the common explanation that you have is, well, I just don't want to get involved in that situation. Now, it's impossible not to be involved. The Lord said, if you're not with me, you're against me. In other words, if you don't stand with me, then you've stood against me. If you don't speak up for me, then you're speaking against me by your silence. And that's what he's saying. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, 
We have Jeremiah there. He is uh, placed in the stocks, and he's mistreated badly. And the reason for this is because of the message that he had. Now, his message was not a popular message. His message was a message of judgment. He said the judgment of God's coming. The Babylonians are coming, and they're going to take over the city. They're going to destroy the city. They're going to carry off into captivity. Well, that certainly was not a popular political message to bring. If you tried to win a political office with that kind of uh, message, you probably wouldn't get very far. And Jeremiah didn't get very far. But he was not interested in winning popularity contests. He was interested in preaching the Word of God and doing what God had called him to do. And he preached, and they didn't like it. And Jeremiah kind of gets a little discouraged. Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But he said, His word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, I, I said, I'm not going to preach this message anymore. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody believes me. Nobody's listening, and they're mistreating me because of it, and I'm just going to quit. But he said, the word of God was like a fire in my soul, and I couldn't help but preach. And anybody that's ever been called of God to preach knows exactly what that's about. And the fire of God, the burning fire, and the burning desire to speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a time to speak, and many times, uh, we find that uh, there's destruction brought about by silence. And first of all, we find that souls are destroyed by silence. I wonder how many are in hell tonight because God's people were ashamed to speak up for Christ, are unconcerned about speaking up for Christ, and souls have died and gone to hell. You know, it's going to be a sad day when we face the judgment and people are lost eternally at the white throne judgment of God as the unsaved have their judgment. And many of them are there and they're, they're going to burn in hell forever because we would not speak up for Christ. And certainly we should, we should never be silent when it comes to the souls of men and the eternal destiny of souls. We should, should never refrain ourselves from speaking up for Christ. And you know, you never know. Sometimes because we get a negative response and sometimes because people, maybe someone gives us a hard time, we may become discouraged and just not speak to anybody. You know, if we talk to 10,000 people and one person was willing to receive it, It'd be worth it if the other 9,999 cussed us out and told us what a sorry person we were. If we could win that one to Christ, it'd be worth it all. If you were that one, wouldn't you think it'd be worth it? And I'm glad that uh, someone is concerned about my soul and someone would not be silent and someone is willing to carry the message so I had the privilege of hearing and being saved. And we all have responsibility. Do you realize tonight that you'll have contact with people that I'll never have contact with? 
you'll have opportunity to preach to people. You may be the only witness that that person will ever have. And if you don't talk to them, nobody will talk to them. You would be amazed here in McDowell County with all the churches we have and all the professing believers and, and Christians supposed to be Christians that we have, you'd be surprised as you go out and knock on doors, people will say, you're the first person that's lived here so many years and you're the only person that's ever told me about Jesus that's ever invited me to church right here in McDowell County. And I witness to people regularly and people that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People that think, well, you, you'd be good to go to heaven or you join the church to go to heaven or you get baptized to go to heaven or various things. And there's multitudes of people out there that we have contact with, we take for granted, maybe just because they go to church and there's church members, there's thousands of people sit on a church pew every Sunday and they're gonna miss heaven because they're not saved. Sometimes we take it for granted that they're saved because they go to church. If they have not been born again, I don't care how much they go to church, they will not go to heaven, and they need to hear the gospel. We need to give everybody a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, they won't let me tell them. Then your responsibility ends there. If they don't want to hear and you can't make them hear, you can't make them accept it, but we need to make the offer, and that's what Jesus has done, and he's called us to do. He's died on the cross. Listen, he's done his part. He went to Calvary. He died in our place. He died for the sins of the world, and the least we can do is tell the story. We didn't have to die. Thank God I didn't have to go to the cross. He paid the debt. He suffered for the sin. All I'm responsible for is telling people about it. And that's what God wants us to do, is get the message out. And all of us need to be involved. Everybody needs to be involved, not just a preacher, not just a few people, but every member. Every member of this church needs to be involved, and we have a responsibility. And if we don't do it, we're going to destroy the souls of men by our silence. God help us to be willing. Do you know the plan of salvation? Many of you do. Are you telling people about it? Are you getting the message out? God help us to be involved. Now souls are destroyed. In the book of Matthew chapter 9, if you'll turn there please. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. And we find the example of Jesus. In Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in other synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He will send forth labors into his harvest. Notice Jesus said that uh, here that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Jesus got tired just like you and I get tired. He was in a body. He was God, but he was confined to a body. 
And I think what Jesus is saying, he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He was saying that I can't get the job done. I need help. That's the cry I need of our day. And we know that he was God and he could have done, he could have been, uh, he could have done whatever he pleased to do. But again, he came and took a body for the suffering of death and moved around in the body. He could have multiplied that body in 10,000 bodies as far as that goes. But that was not the plan of God. And he said, the labors are few. I need some help. He said, look at the multitude. Look at the people. Sometimes I look out over McDowell County and I get up here and I plead and I beg and I encourage people to be involved and help me out. And Thursday after Thursday, nobody helps. And I think I can feel something what Jesus is feeling. And he said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he must move with compassion. He saw those multiplied thousands of souls dying without God and going to hell and nobody telling them. And that's what's happening all across this land. I hear the, I hear the message of missionaries. I, I was talking to, uh, to someone this week and they were talking about, uh, about some missionary in, in one of the, uh, the communist countries that, uh, that is uh, that is changed here, and and uh, and this missionary was in there, and and uh, and he said, I could I could use a hundred missionaries today if I had a hundred. We couldn't begin to get the job done. You think of that. And he said the the. The, the, the need is so great and, and they're open to the gospel and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands are open to the gospel and nobody to tell them. All the Mormons there are there and the Jehovah Witnesses and the cults and the Charismatics, they're in there. The people that have the truth and the people that have the way of salvation, many times we're not involved as we ought to be. And we let them perish. And God help us to be involved. They're souls just like you and I. And we need, to, we need to do what we can. Some years ago, it's probably more than that now, that every second that ticks by, there's two people will go out into eternity. It's probably more than that, 120 people every minute. And many of them die and never having heard the name of Jesus Christ one time. We who have heard the gospel from our, from our childhood days and have heard it and heard it, heard it over and hundreds and thousands of times and people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. One great preacher said, why should anybody hear? He was a great missionary preacher. He said, why should anybody hear twice until everybody has heard at least once? tried to send missionaries around the world. Mark said, What should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, if we as half as concerned about the souls of man as we were about the economy, 
we could get things done. That's about all you hear about. And I realize how the economy is important. It's important that people have jobs and church people have jobs. People be able to provide for their family. And I understand that. And then uh, uh, the, the cause of God, the missionary work would, would suffer if, if we had an economic collapse. And I understand all those things. But I'm telling you, there's things more important. There's things more important than, than making money. And that's getting the gospel out in these last days and trying to get people saved and getting prepared for the rapture is the most important thing in the world. And they're being destroyed because we don't speak up. God said, if you don't warn them, he said back in Ezekiel here, he said, if I say to the wicked man, you're going to die and you don't warn him, he said, he'll still die but his blood will be required at your hand. You're going to be responsible for his death. You think of standing before God and responsible for multiplied souls of men that died and went to hell and at our, at our hand. We could have told them. We could have warned them, but we didn't. Have you ever witnessed to that person you work with? Have you ever told them about Jesus? You take it for granted they're saved? You say, if I witness to them, they'll get mad. It's better that they get mad than go to hell never having heard. And so we need to be involved. And he said, if you warn the wicked, you say, well, they won't listen. He said, if you tell him and he don't listen, you've done all you can do. You're not responsible anymore. The blood's not on your hand. He'll still die and go to hell, but his blood's not on your hand. I've said before to these ladies, get on that telephone, and it's not always pleasant, and they get some blessed callers, and they get some rascals. But you know something? And nobody in McDowell County that's been called, we're trying to call all, all we can. Ain't nobody that's been called. They're going to stand before God one day and say, Maranatha Baptist Church, put the blood on their hands. They didn't tell me. They didn't care. They didn't witness to me. They didn't try to get me in church. They didn't try to preach the gospel to me. I don't know if this is happening in some other places. But I don't know any other county it's happening completely as it's happening here probably. And I'd, I'd rather go to hell from anywhere than this county. I guarantee you. Because ain't nobody in this county going to go to hell and say I didn't have a chance. They may go to hell from some other county without ever having an opportunity. They're not going to go to hell from this county and say I never had a chance. Nobody cared. Nobody tried to get me. Nobody tried to win me. Nobody tried to witness to me because we're doing that. The Bible said in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God help us to speak up. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. And when it comes to witnessing, that's not a time to keep silence. There's a time to speak. And I realize even in witnessing, there are opportune times. There are times that are, more, that are more important that you witness than at other times. And God will show us those times. That's the best time. But souls are destroyed by our silence. Not only that, but we find standards are destroyed by being silent. The standards of our country. I read a little article this little boy wrote a letter to God, dear God, addressed it to God. And he said, my dad lost his job and 
he's sick and please send a hundred dollars and he signed his name and it ended up in the dead letter office in Washington the postal office there as the letters to Santa Claus and all do I reckon and uh, one of the postal employees there saw the letter and was moved by it and, and enclosed five dollars and sent it back and in a few days they got another letter dear God Thank you for the $5. But the next time, it says we need 100 and the next time, please do not send it by Washington because they took out 95 of it and, <laughs> and only sent us five. <laughs> and uh, I got a kick out of that because sometimes it seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, if, you, if you ask God for something, tell him not to send it by Washington. <laughs> But getting back serious here, the standards of our nation. You know what's wrong with us as a nation? Because Christian people haven't been involved over the years. Now, thank God there's more people involved. There's probably more Christians involved. They say, well, I don't think you ought to be involved in politics. You know who's saying that, don't you? The liberals. They don't want you involved. They want you to stay out of the picture. They want to run the show. They want to run things like they've been doing. And they don't want us to be involved. And that's kind of the way I was until we started the Christian school and they made me get involved. They threatened all the preachers that had Christian schools with throwing them in jail. When they start saying you're going to jail, you either conform to what we say or you either do what we want you to do or you're going to jail, you get involved in a hurry. But Christian people over the years have not been involved and they say we can't do anything about it, we can't make a difference. There's enough church members and people that profess to be Christians in this country to turn this country around if they do it. But we've sat back and said nothing and let the devil take over. And that's what will happen. The standards of a country will fall. What Jesus say? He says, you're the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. And sometimes we don't always have the choices that we'd like to have. And I think sometimes that's because if Christians were involved as they ought to be, the Christian community could present a candidate that stood according to the Bible. And we'd have a clear choice. Sometimes it's you know, the choice between gray and black instead of between white and black. And, and that's, that, that bothers me and that troubles me. But we need to hold up the standard. We need to be involved and we need to say, we're going to stand. We're not going to compromise. We are children of God. We're saved and we're going to take a stand. And we let the standards of our country fall because we don't get involved. We keep silent when we ought to speak up. There's a time to speak, the, the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, and there's a time to keep silence. A number of years ago, we went to Raleigh, took a group down there. There were several thousand from across the state gathered there, and it was dealing with the ERA, if I, if I remember, at that time. The Equal Rights Amendment was not had nothing to do with, with providing the rights of women. It, what it was designed to do was take away the rights they already had. 
That's what it, what it was designed to do. But one politician, one of the elected officials told me, you know what he said? He says, you know when we listen? We listen at the polls. That's when we listen. And there's enough Christians to make a difference. And we ought to be involved in making the best choice that we know. And we ought to use the Word of God as our guidebook. And again, we don't always have the, a clear biblical candidate. But the closest to the Bible is the one we ought to go with. The standards of our country, pornography, filth, trash, having the Democratic Convention this week in New York City and the streets are lined with X-rated and naked women shows and, and all. Now how can that happen? It happens because people that say they're Christians refuse to speak up and the tragedy is even some of them that say they're Christians support that kind of feel. standards of our country, the standards of our schools. They threw the Bible out. They threw prayer out first in 1962, the year I graduated from high school. And then they threw the, they threw the Word of God out in, in 1963. And they've tried to erase God and then the problems, the, the academic standards have fallen ever since. The, the discipline problems have multiplied ever since. Because when you, when you destroy the foundation, you don't have anything to build on. You don't have anything to hold it up with. And that's what's happened. You know, it's all right to teach humanism in the public school, but it's not all right to teach the Bible. It's all right to study witchcraft, the New Age religion, but you can't have the Word of God. You can't have a Bible. You realize I am told that in Russia tonight, in the Russian public schools, you can have a Bible class and teach the Bible. A country where not too long ago they said, we don't believe there's any kind of a God. We reject God. We reject the Bible. We reject religion. We reject it all. Seven years of that destroyed their country and wrecked their economy. And after a while, they had enough of it. And they said, we don't want any more. Give us the Word of God back. Give us the Bible back. Let's start having Bible classes. Open up the churches again. And let's get God back in the country. Because it don't work, does it? Communism ought to prove to us that you leave God out of society, you leave God out of your government, you throw God out of the schools, you throw God out of government, and it won't be long, your country will be gone. It'll be destroyed. And that's going to happen to America unless we speak up, unless we take a stand and say, we're not going to put up with it. We're going to stand and hold candidates that run for political office responsible we want to know what you believe about the issues. We want to know where you stand on these issues. And if you don't stand with the Word of God, then we stand against you. The schools. 
the standards have fallen apart. Then our churches. Liberalism has infiltrated even the, even the fundamental churches. You think of the compromise that's happened in the major denominations, churches that used to stand for truth, churches that used to have a testimony for God, churches that used to be involved in soul winning and getting the gospel out. They forgot all about that now. They're more interested in a, some kind of program. Let's get us a ball team. There's nothing wrong with playing ball in itself necessarily. But the major excitement in a lot of churches is, is who won the ball game. Amen. Let's get us a ball team. Get us in a league. Let's provide us some recreation. Let's have a social program. And they've gotten completely away from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people sat back and let it happen. One reason is silent pulpits. You know where I, I laid the blame a lot? Is at the pulpit where you don't hear anything preached. The man of God is called upon to expose sin, to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Yes, there's to be the building up in the faith, but there's to be a rebuking of sin. There's exhortation, yes, but reproving of sin from the pulpit. We need to hear that. Silent pulpits where you don't hear the truth preached. Preachers have compromised the word of God, compromised the truth of God until there's nothing wrong hardly anymore. People take the attitude, ain't no such a thing as sin. Everything's all right, nothing's wrong because preachers have found a way to get around it and excuse sin and justify sin and, and, uh, and twist the word of God uh, to cover up for sin until there's nothing to repent of. No, there's no such a thing as sin anymore in most people's minds. And a lot of it is, that the, is, is, is behind the pulpit. Preachers that will not preach. Silent pulpits. Silent pews. I blame the pulpit. I blame the pews. People sit back and say nothing. Churches, I could take you to churches tonight that used to preach the same gospel I preach, used to have the same concern for souls, used to be doing the works of God and those churches don't even believe this Bible anymore. They got a preacher don't even preach the King James Version of the Bible. And you don't have to go too far. People sit back in the pews and let it happen. I can remember years ago when the Southern Baptists slipping the revised virgins into the literature and to some of the people in the church I can remember I grew up in they didn't like it a bit people spoke out and said we don't like this we don't believe in this if you go to some of them same churches some of them same people 
and they got them the good news from modern man or a revised version or something they carry to church. Not even the literature, they got a whole Bible messed up now. Silent pews. When false doctrine comes from this pulpit, you have a responsibility to speak out against it and say, Preacher, you're, that's not the Word of God. You're wrong. You're not preaching the truth. Another guidelines to follow. God said, Rebuke not an elder except before two or three witnesses and so forth. But when the doctrine is wrong, we ought to speak up against it and say, That's not right. You know what compromise does? One compromise leads to another compromise, doesn't it? And when you lie, when you lie, you always have to tell some more lies to cover up for that lie. Like a little boy that's was brought as a witness in a trial. The defense lawyer, he began to question the little boy. He said, did your dad tell you what to say when you got up here? He said, yes, he did. He thought he had him. What, what did he tell you? He said, he told me to tell the truth every time. Then I could tell the same story every time I told it. Mighty good device, wasn't it? Silent pulpits, silent pews, silent prayer rooms. This church or no other church will never have the blessing of God until we get back to praying. We start filling our prayer rooms, crying out to God and, and weeping tears before God and begging God for an answer. Getting a burden getting a concern for souls, a concern for our church, a concern for our county, and get on our face before God and begin to cry out to the Lord. Fellowship is good, but it's not as important as praying. Say, well, I can't go to the prayer room. I have to fellowship. Now, we all do both. I'm not discouraging either one. Silent prayer room. Destroys. What did the Lord say? What James, that preacher that preached so strong, he said, he said, you have not because you ask not. To go to heaven one day, to get to heaven and realize we missed out on the blessings because we didn't have enough sense to even ask God for it. The Lord said, I wanted to do this to you. I wanted to do these things for you, but you never even bothered to ask me. Never even bothered to ask me. Think of that. Standards are destroyed in our churches, in our homes. I want to tell you tonight that the devil is after your home, my home. He's out absolutely to wreck your home, to compromise your home, to destroy your home. Do you have you don't stand for nothing. And as the home goes, so goes the church. If you don't have any standards in your home, you measure the standards of the church and the country by the standards in the home. And there's pressure, there's pressure continuously, pressure from every side to get us to compromise, to lower the standards, and to compromise and not speak out. And I say to the husband, because God's going to hold you responsible, Father, husband, 
God's not going to bring your wife up and say, you're the problem. He's going to bring you up. He's going to say, why'd this go on in your home? Well, it's my wife's. It's her fault. I'm not going to get out like that. He's going to bring us up and say, why'd you let this go on? We have responsibility. Do it in love. But have a standard. Not a double standard. You know, that's, that's the most damaging thing there is, young people, is have a double standard. You know what kids do? They learn to be hypocrites. You know where most people learn how to be hypocrite? Is in the home. Sometimes the father has a standard. When dad's at home, you've got one standard. And when mama's at home, there's another standard. You want to raise hypocrites? That's a good way to do it. Husband ought to set the standards, and the standards ought to be based on the word of God. Not our own ideas and out of anger and all that sort of thing, but they ought to be based in the Word of God. We ought to set those standards, and those standards ought to be implemented by the wife, whether the husband is around or not. And they ought to be consistent. If it's wrong for you to do it today, it's wrong for you to do it tomorrow. If it's wrong for you to do it tomorrow, it's wrong for you to do it the next day. You have a consistent standard. You hold the standard high. And it's basically, see, we never have to compromise the Word of God if we base it on the Bible and let kids know that this is what God says. This is not my own personal opinions or ideas. This is what God's Word teaches. And this is why, this is why, you know, kids, one of the main questions kids have is why, 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 and you get tired of telling them why, and, and I, it's wrong. It's, uh, why is that wrong? It's wrong because I say it's wrong. And, uh, uh, but you ought to know, we ought to, we ought to base those standards. This is what the Word of God teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. And I realize the Bible doesn't deal with every little specific issue, but the principles are there. The principles of the Word of God are there. God let us, help us not to let the devil destroy our homes by our silence. The Word of God, an important part of your home, prayer, you sit down to eat, you pray. I can remember when our kids was real little, you didn't forget to pray. If you ever did, they'd tell you. You never, we hadn't prayed yet. The little ones, they're not bashful, they just tell you, you didn't pray. I remember when Billy was just a little bitty boy. We was out in the store, you know, around Christmas time. And we taught our kids from the time they were little, little things enough to understand. Christmas is a time we shared. We celebrated the birth of Jesus, and we honored Jesus, and we went to church, and we was Christians. We didn't believe in Santa Claus. We didn't believe Santa Claus brought nothing. We believed parents. We gave, we gave them gifts because we loved them. And we was out in the store, and, and of course, as people do, you know, one of the tellers said, uh, said my, to Billy, he was this little bitty fellow, he said, what's Santa Claus going to bring you for Christmas? He said, ain't no Santa Claus. 
He knew what he'd been taught. Hold up the standard high. Set some standards based on the Word of God and don't compromise those standards. Keep them high. Standards of our home. The Bible said in Ephesians 6, 13, and having done all to stand, I'll close with one, one final thought, and that is the strength, strength of our country, strength of our churches, of our homes and all. In Revelation 3, 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He said to the church at Sardis there, Strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Don't let them die. He said, you have a loose rent. Don't let it die. We ought to fan the fire. And not let the devil steal our strength. You know the story of Samson. He lost his strength, didn't he? He played with the devil and the world, played with sin, and it cost him his eyes cost him his life he lost his strength we can lose our strength by not speaking out I want to tell you something tonight I believe in I believe in praising God put that on record I'd like to see a little more around here I'd like to hear a little more amens, see some more tears. It'd be all right if someone shouted. Might give us a heart attack, but uh, we'd get over it. <laughs> We've had a little bit along. Time's gone by. But I want to tell you something. When people climb up, and I realize what I believe I believe it ought to start inside and express itself outside. I don't believe in beating nothing up with a piano or a guitar or a bunch of drums or nothing else. I don't believe in beating. People try to work their spirit up and let's get going here and clapping their hands and let's work it up. I don't believe you work the real thing up. I believe God gets in your heart and begins to bless you. And from time to time, I see the tears start coming out of the eyes and, and, uh, and the... They're praising the Lord. And that's good. I like that. I like it when God, when God squeezes a heart, when the Lord squeezes a heart, and it expresses itself outside to them, outwardly. We need that. And don't ever quench the spirit and hold back. If God wants you to say something, you say it. God wants you to cry, you cry. God wants you to shout, you shout. He wants you to say amen, you say amen. It'd be all right. <laughs> if the Lord's in it, it'd be fine. That's what we need. Destroyed by silence. Souls are being destroyed because we don't speak up for Jesus. A church, a country, can be destroyed because we don't speak up. Let's fire heads.